Hi there. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast with me, Russell Davis. This week, I'm looking at the subject of relationships. Relationships can be the source of our greatest joy, love, compassion, tenderness, intimacy. Can also be the source of great anger, frustration, sadness. It can be such an emotional roller coaster. And the things about relationships is no one teaches us how to be in a relationship. So this this week I want to unpack five things I've learned through my 25 years of being married, working with lots of relationship coaches, helping other people with their relationships, hundreds of people with their relationships, and working with lots of couples. Some of the things I've felt I've learned over the years and may be useful for you to bring more sense of connection in your relationship. Well, let's dive in and see what we can find out, including coming at the end is the rules for arguing. Arguing can be a valid form of communication, but find out what the rules are to make sure it stays useful. recently heard someone famous being interviewed, I can't remember who it was, but they'd been married for, for decades, I think about 50 years, and the interviewer was asking them what the secret was to, to, to such a long, uh, successful marriage. And the guy being interviewed said, well, um, my wife and I both haven't wanted a divorce at the same time. <laughs> At the same time, of course, there's times when perhaps one does want a divorce, think the relationship's over, or you go through a difficult time, or very angry with the other person, um, be saying that they never wanted that at the same time. Um, that's been the secret. I think some honesty in that, that you know, that actually there are times you don't want to be in a relationship, uh, and that's fine. And the things about relationships, I've been considering this that you know, my, a lot of my clients are in relationships. And in my own life, you can see you know, when we're with our, the people we love most, we can have the best of times and the worst of times. It can bring out the best in us and the worst in us. We can bring out the best in them, the worst in them. It's it can be really kind of messy at times, and it can really be an emotional roller coaster. Life seems to be great when our relationship's good, and life is really challenging when it's not because it's such a Clearly, obviously, such a big part of our life. We share so much of our life with our with our partner, our life partner. And many of my clients are going through difficult situations in life, uh, such as infertility. We went through infertility ourselves, and I know that infertility can put a strain on the best of relationships. The thing about relationships is no one really teaches us how to be in a relationship. We learn unconsciously from maybe our parents who may not be in the greatest role models because maybe their parents weren't the greatest role models and unconsciously things get passed down from one generation to another. I think media um, isn't a great role model either. They, uh, movies and TV shows give a very unrealistic expectation of relationships and what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. So how do we learn to be in a relationship? My own kind of journey 
I was like a breath of fresh air when I first connected with a men's coach and a relationship coach and it's really helping me see that I've never really learned how to be a man. My father was very much a, a, a loving, kind, loving man. I loved him dearly. But he was emasculated by my mum. He wasn't a great masculine role model. So I never really learned what it means to be a man and thus I never really learned what it is to, to connect and relate to the feminine. And I might say man or woman in here and that's kind of lazy language and um, but what I mean is masculine and feminine. And we all have masculine and feminine within us. Yeah, men tend to have more masculine energy, women tend to have more feminine energy. We all have both. We all have both. And it's a kind of polar connection between the masculine and the feminine that creates that attraction. But it's also the difference between the masculine and the feminine makes it very sometimes challenging to connect and, and understand each other and, and be content with each other. I think in the simplicity of one of our, my coaches has said that she's going to coach many, many people in relationships. She said it the boils down to it. In most relationships, men, well, the masculine craves more respect and the feminine craves to be seen, felt and heard. And I think, well, that's a, too much of a generalisation. I think there's often a lot of truth in that. I see my own relationship and with many kind of couples that I've worked with over the years, and even the individuals I worked with, how they had experienced their own relationship. I remember six months into marriage, I said to my wife, oh, we've got this marriage lot cracked. I think we should write a book on marriage. I don't know. I'm really embarrassed to share that. I don't know where that came from, how I thought I knew we had it cracked in six months. Gosh, blimey, what's happened since then? Makes me realise that, <laughs> yeah, we didn't have it cracked. Um, it's that honeymoon period where life kind of feels easy. But I'm going to go through some of the five things I think I've learned over the years with my own kind of life and with clients. The five things just jumped out, if I had to say, what my five things, key things I've learned in relationships. And not particularly in any order, these are the five things that came to mind. There might be others I've forgotten, but hopefully they're useful. One is emotions. The masculine and feminine have very different relationships with emotions. The feminine tends to be far more comfortable with emotions. In fact, the feminine communicates to be seen, felt and heard, kind of emotionally, energetically. The masculine tends to communicate more transactionally, information as and when required. And I think also there's this cultural thing about the masculine, you know, men basically... Um, have been taught unconsciously through the media and society that you know, big boys don't cry, emotions are a weakness, all that kind of stuff. I know society is thankfully changing in that space and men are becoming more comfortable with talking about emotions and that's a really welcome change. But unconsciously, they and maybe role models, they don't have role models that help them connect to their emotions. And I personally, there's elements, not just a masculine thing, but a lot of my clients, whether masculine or feminine, sometimes are disconnected to their emotions, they live in their head. That was very much me. I had a very distant relationship with my emotions, maybe because of the cultural masculine thing, but also because I lived in my head as a warrior. So I lived in my head and I had a lot of maybe painful emotions from childhood that sort of shut down, didn't want to feel them, avoid them. And when you try to avoid particular emotions, you can obviously avoid all emotions 
So emotions can be this source of, I'd say, disconnection in a relationship because the feminine seeks to be emotionally connected. They want to understand how their partner feels. They want to know their partner, understand how they feel. Almost like it's the emotional glue that keeps a couple on the same page. Maybe not thinking the same thing or agreeing with each other all the time. What they think about things, but understanding how they feel about things. And one of the things is, another thing about emotions is we misunderstand the source of our emotions. We may blame our partner for our emotions. If we're angry or upset, we think it's because they've done or not done. And we don't realise actually we live in the experience of our thinking. When we realise that we're living the experience of our thinking, it's not our partner that makes us feel anything. It's our thinking, our story, the meaning we attach to it. It's actually a memory. What's happening in this moment is triggering an unconscious memory often. Then we can begin to not leak our emotions onto our, our partners, not blame them for our emotions, not think I'm okay if they're okay. That's a big thing that comes up in things that we think we're happy if our partner's happy and not connecting to our own innate well-being, happiness and realising our state of mind, our mood is not connected to anything on the outside. It kind of works inside out. And there's a phrase I like, is husbanding my feminine. Um, something I can get better at is when I'm in a kind of a maybe grumpy mood or down or worried about something, recognising that and not letting it leak into family dynamics and taking myself away and dealing with it or just acknowledging it. Um, sometimes my wife will say that what's wrong and I'll, I'll say nothing and often um, I know there's something wrong but not acknowledging it myself or dealing with it I'm basically trying to avoid it actually sometimes maybe I don't even know there's something wrong the feminine is very much more emotionally aware where their masculine is before the masculine is aware themselves and they can sense that disconnect um, so emotions can be a big thing um, source of disconnect uh, in a relationship couple of resources in that space I really recommend. One is the book called Nonviolent Communication. It sounds quite a violent title, um, but it's just a brilliant book about communicating, understanding emotions and, and getting beyond that and owning them. And yes, it's a really wonderful um, communication process that keeps our communication really, really clean. Another is a, what's called the Imago Dialogue, which I think I'm a big fan of. And I've evolved that and evolved some non-violent communication process into that creating my own kind of technique I share with, with clients but in my, it's based on the Margot dialogue there's something you can google so NVC non-violent communication by Marshall Rosenberg a fabulous resource and book around emotions and communicating emotions in, in all relationships not just romantic relationships um, so the second thing is being about being present I guess it's tied to emotions when we get caught into our emotions our thinking we're not being present. There's one thing I've really learned. What the feminine craves is masculine presence. When in my head, I'm not present. My wife's getting better, really good at, really good at knowing when I'm present or not. And even when I'm looking at her, I may not be present. I may be looking at her and my head's gone somewhere else. She knows, she's seeing I'm zoning out. And uh, we make a joke of it and I can come back to be present. Um, I used to get really frustrated thinking, you know, I can... I am listening, I need to recognise I'm not really listening. If I'm not present, I'm not listening. And I can hold my hand up and recognise that more. And when she catches it, I can bring myself back to being present. Breath is a good way of being present. When I'm fair aware of my breath, I'm far more, far more present. Um, I, when I work with a couple, I get them to do an eye gaze. 
basically looking to each other's left eye for up to five minutes. It can feel uncomfortable at first, but it really just brings a sense of presence, two souls being present in this moment. And you can't be present when you're thinking about something. I can't be present to my wife if I'm still thinking about what I need to be doing next or thinking about the thing I was thinking about when she um, asked a question. Um, so being present and, and recognising that, and maybe some times a day you can't be fully present, and that's okay. Just say, I can't be really present right now. Can we do this in, in, in an hour? And as long as you do, uh, be a person of your word and, and do it in an hour. So recognising when we can and can't be present and recognise how to be more present, bring presence to the feminine is really, really key. Expectations is another one. I mentioned that before, how the media and society can have these uh, unrealistic expectations uh, on what a marriage or relationship or partnership looks like. Um, we also have personal expectations. We may not even be aware of it. One thing we may have um, expectations on our partner, the way we thought they should or shouldn't behave or the way we thought they should and shouldn't love us. And what you can do is, uh, I sometimes get clients to do this, I've done this myself occasionally, just a check-in. What kind of covert contracts do you have um, with your partner? What kind of things do you think they should be doing or not doing? You expect them to do. You have these unconscious covert contracts with them. And make a list. Um, I did this fairly recently and there's certain things I expect my wife to be doing, um, which is completely unfair because it's an unconscious expectation. An expectation is an unspoken agreement. Um, how can you turn that expectation to agreement? Have a conversation and, and talk about it. And whether it's something you want to make an agreement on, that's cool. I work with teams and one of the biggest things we can do with a team is create what I call collaborating principles. Create a set of engagement behaviours you're going to sign up to as a team. Behaviours you're going to um, kind of kill off as a team. And almost write, we write them out, basically, like a set of vows. Relationships often have vows. In marriage, I mean, there's often vows, promises to each other. And it's having this set of behaviours, these agreements. Um, a lot of companies have values. They're just words. What does that really mean? These are actually really clear behaviours that you can see whether they're being adhered to or not. And you can call people out and make sure we everyone adheres to their way of working. And it creates a, a kind of... A, a culture of trust, where you're trusting and commitment to knowing everyone is committing to, to the same way of being, creating that culture um, that people want to be operating and living in. And it's the same with a relationship. Um, understand what covert contracts, expectations you may have. Turn them into agreements. Uh, have a new set of hours every year that what you sign up to, what you're agreeing to for each other. Um, another thing about expectations is these covert contracts Often we see where our partner isn't and not where they are. We see where they're not loving us and not where they are loving us. And that's partly because our brain is designed to, to look for problems. You know, it gets to hang up from hunter-gatherer days to keep ourselves safe. We're very adept at looking for problems and sometimes not good at looking where things are going really well. Another kind of thing, uh, fourth, was it fourth? Uh, third, one, fourth, sorry, fourth. Um, is model the world, realising that I mentioned there could be difference in the masculine and the feminine, how we see the world, how we operate in the world, but it's different for every individual in this world. There are what, seven, eight billion versions of reality out there. We all live in our own model of the world, and part of that may be shaped by our, our, our kind of gender or our hormones, um, also may be shaped by our childhood experiences. 
we all look at life through a pair of glasses, a filter, and each of our prescriptions are unique, um, based on personality, maybe, uh, kind of nature and nurture. I think a lot of it is nurture more than we think, but it's we all look at the world differently. So our own kind of model the world in a way that makes sense for us. You know, people who think, you know, there are aliens out there trying to tap into our brains, makes complete sense for them to wear a tinfoil hat. Makes complete sense to them because that's the way they see the world. Um, and when we see the world in our way, own way, through our own filter, we, we forget we're wearing these glasses. It's like when you wear your glasses or sunglasses, you actually forget you're wearing them. And we forget we look at life through our own filter, our own thinking, and it makes complete sense to us. We think it's right. And we sometimes don't realise people have different thinking. Doesn't mean it's right, doesn't mean it's wrong, they're just different. There really is no right or wrong, it's just different ways of thinking. And in a relationship, you can be right or you can have a relationship. At the end of the day, you can be right or you can be in a relationship. And it's letting go of our model of the world and helping see our partner in their model of the world. I often use driving as an example. Then my wife used to criticise my driving. And then she realised I was very sensitive to criticism. So instead of I'm dri- saying I'm driving too fast, she would say I'm feeling scared. And by the way, I'm not a particularly fast driver. I think she became quite a nervous passenger. I think generally she drives faster than me. But anyway, she was feeling scared. I judged her thinking as unnecessary. I judged her feeling of fear as unnecessary. I wasn't seeing that situation through her model of the world. When I got out of my thinking, my judgment of her experience, and really connected to her fear, I slowed down automatically. I didn't want someone I loved to feel scared. And the more I did that, the more she trusted I would respond positively if she felt scared. The more she trusted me, the more she relaxed into my driving and just, it stopped becoming an issue. But it's about getting out of our model of the world and seeing life through other people's model of the world. A great resource in this space I kind of recommend is The Five Love Languages, a book by Gary Chapman. Um, and it's, it's, it's splattered. He's, he's a Christian. There's a lot of Christian kind of content around it. Well, no, it's not content around it. It's kind of framed in a Christian context. But actually, whether you agree with that or not, it's irrelevant. It's not about you know what it says about Christianity. Um, this is true for everyone, whatever religion or non-religion you are. The principles of five love languages are true for every human being, I think. And the idea is that we just see, we give, and love, and give love in different ways. And it uses five love, love languages. Five languages as a, as a way of describing those different ways. And the thing is, we tend to demonstrate love in the way we prefer to receive it, which may not be the way our partner prefers to receive it. It's about understanding our partners more in the world, how to love them in the most effective way for them. So that's another one. Um, fifth one, arguing. We went many months without arguing. We're very proud of that. And... We had our first big argument and we just couldn't cope. We thought it was the end of the world, it was the end of the relationship. And we come to learn to realise actually arguing can be a valid form of communication. And I often try and avoid an argument. Part of me grew up in a very, I guess, house a lot of, with a lot of um, strife and arguing. And I just think, unconsciously, little boy in me just doesn't think it's helpful and I try to avoid it. But actually, arguing can be a very valid form of communication if we're fighting to get back into connection, fighting to understand each other rather than fighting to win. And that's when we start to fight to win. That's when it becomes more toxic and unhelpful. And we've had, you know, some really stonking arguments. And, and But what followed was sometimes some of those 
greatest connected conversations. Um, some of this some humorous but kind of serious rules for arguing to help you make sure when you're having an argument you stay in the in the zone of fighting for clarification and getting back into unity rather than fighting to win. Um, one is own your feelings. As I said before about emotions, recognize nothing makes you feel anything. We live in experience of our thinking. So don't say you make me feel, because they don't. They don't. No one makes us feel anything. It's our thinking about those experiences creates experience. So own your feeling. Say, when this happens, I feel. I feel. Own the feeling. Own it. Now there's no name calling. Doesn't help. Doesn't help. Name calling is just fueled by judgment and criticism and it's our childlike mind kicking in and we stay in that unrational, kind of irrational childlike space. You're not going to get back into um, a more grounded adult connection. So no name calling. It's full of judgment and criticism and it just doesn't help. Don't bring a third party into it. It doesn't matter what other people think, especially when I work with couples. I say, don't use me in your arguments. Don't say Russell says. Don't bring anyone into it. Don't bring a third party, especially your mother or their mother. No third party. doesn't matter what other people think. It's about understanding each other in that moment. No past history. Let the past go. It's gone. The past doesn't exist. The only moment that exists is this present moment and your thoughts and feelings are in this moment. How you feel is not created by the past. The past doesn't exist. Your feelings are created by your thinking in this moment. And maybe some thinking from the past need to let go. So no past history, let it go. Feelings exist in the present moment. The one I need to really hear to is stick to the subject. Um, you're fighting for clarification on the subject you're in or what's behind that subject. Our first argument was about sandwiches. Of course, it's not about sandwiches. There's something deeper going on. And I so say it's not fighting to win. It's fighting for clarification. I'm really quite adept to, if I think I'm losing an argument, to try and steer it onto a subject, I'm, I think I'm on solid ground. But stick to the subject. You're fighting for clarification, not trying to win. And don't hit below the belt. Don't hit below the belt. We all have failings and mistakes you know when we're all fallible we're all human don't hit below the belt maintain a sense of humor there's another one this can be really really hard thankfully my wife is, is, is quite good at this when we get caught into an argument we've lost a sense of perspective we're both in a zone in a trance we're both being triggered and it's our unconscious childlike brain, irrational brain taken over. It's like being in a trance in a movie in our head. We've lost all sense of perspective and clarity. And humour can be great, what's called a pattern interrupt. It can break us from that trance. It can wake us up back to the here and now. So humour is not what we're expecting in an argument. And it can be, say, a pattern interrupt. And it can great way of bringing us back to the here and now. And give us an opportunity to get back into some clarity. And perspective back to connect to our adult self. So where possible trying to maintain the sense of humour. It can really make the difference. And the last one can be, can be the most challenging, can be the, also the most powerful. Hold hands. Hold hands. If you're having an argument, if you can bear yourself to hold hands, it reminds yourself of what you're trying to do. You're trying to get back into unity. You're fighting to regain unity and connection and not to win. I often joke that it stops the other person throwing things as well. But no, but hold hands wherever possible because it does remind you you're both trying to get back into connection, into unity. And 
as I say this, I've never thought of this, but just saying it, one thing is eye gaze. You can do that. Maybe hold hands. If you can't say anything, just look into the other person's eye. I say the left eye, it stops your eyes darting around. Just look into the person's left eye and hold that for five minutes. Um, I imagine, I never try this actually, but I imagine that the anger will melt away. Your mind will start to calm and you start to get back into a sense of connection and you can restart the conversation from a place of more clarity and perspective. So hopefully it's useful, five different areas that things I reflect on when it comes to relationships. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. Um, yeah, sometimes my clients think my wife is a very lucky woman, but I think sometimes I should speak to her because often yeah, our partners get the worst of us. Um, so that's useful. And I'm going back to circle back to so it is a generalization, but I think it can be very useful. You know, if you want to take one thing away, um, if the masculine craves more respect, how can you give the masculine more respect? And if the feminine craves to be seen, felt, and heard, how can you help the feminine be seen, felt, and heard? Oh, that's useful. Useful. Loving you. Thank you.